Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. We have a new guest to introduce to all of the listeners out there of the podcast to get some markets analysis from the junior mining sector. Happy to welcome in for the first time from the Netherlands, Peter Vermeulen, who is an advisor over a plethora private equity fund. Uh, Peter, it's a pleasure to finally have you onto the podcast. And I know I've noticed it's a quite a sunny day there for you in Ronstadt, uh, kind of a, a new feel for you this time of year, but i uh, glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for having me, uh, Trevor. We are uh, quite blessed here with a very nice uh, after summer. Um, so we have to cherish every day that we get here because uh, this is not very common for this place. <laughs> uh, normally it would be raining cats and dogs all day. But having said that, our summer and spring was not that great. So uh, at least we got some uh, good weather right now. Uh, the weather in the Netherlands seems brighter than the junior mining market. Let's just let's just say that. Uh, before we kind of talk about sentiment here, uh, which I know everybody's kind of keen on getting your take on, I would like to get just a brief introduction on you know on your experience here in this sector and what you do over there in Plethora. So please give us a quick rundown of really you know what your aim is what your aim is in this sector. Sounds good. Yeah. So I got my uh, master's degree in finance in 2006. And then I started working for a family office that was also running a financial website in the Netherlands. And there I ran a model portfolio on exploration stocks for four years. And that model portfolio was uh, called the gold capitalist. So it might be that some people remember that. And then in 2012, uh, the Plethora Precious Metals Fund came to light. And Dawa van Hees, who is the current fund manager, joined this fund in 2014. And since 2014, we have focused exclusively on investing in early stage junior exploration companies. So since 2012, our compounded annualized growth rate is uh, plus 22%. And that was uh, versus a very difficult backdrop, because if you look at the annual return of the GDXJ or the UE since 2012, it was actually minus 5% on a yearly basis. So then in 2018, we launched a plethora of private equity in which we incubate junior exploration companies ourselves. And we have currently 11 companies on the go in plethora of private equity active worldwide and in various stages of exploration. And the most advanced one from the 11, Berlin Gold, just filed a preliminary prospectus for an IPO later this year. So uh, between the two funds, Plethora Precious Metals and uh, Plethora Private Equity, they're each um, about 25 million Canadian in AUM. So in total, we manage about 50 million. And both funds, uh, though one, public, the other private are solely focused on early stage junior exploration. Is really gold the predominant you know, mineral the, the company is going after here, or do you branch out into other precious metals or even base metals? Yeah, in the, in the uh, fund that invests in listed juniors, so the plethora of precious metals, the main focus is precious metals, so gold right. and silver exploration companies, but we also do some copper juniors in there, nickel juniors, 
but the majority is precious metals still. But in private equity, we have a more broader focus. Actually, over half of that fund, over of those companies, these 11 companies that we have incubated there are base metals focused. Mm. And primarily the base metals involved in the energy transition that's uh, ongoing now with the electricity metals. So primarily nickel and copper. Let me ask you about the use of private equity or maybe private equity being involved in these early stage companies. What is the strengths of an organization such as yours that comes in and can help incubate these companies, you know, pre-IPO that, you know, what can private equity do that say other, uh, some of the public entities cannot do? It is, it has to do with efficiency uh, for mineral exploration. You want to increase the odds of making the rare discovery. And how do you do that? It's by spending the majority of the money actually on exploration and not on other things. So if you look at the efficiency of the private equity model versus the public model, if you look on at the typical junior exploration company listed, they are spending four or 500,000 a year at a minimum already on GNA, listing fees, management, marketing, et cetera. So with the private equity model, there's only about 16%, one six, that is spent on other things besides exploration. So we run a very tight ship. And for that, we can cycle through projects quicker and we can get to the eventual discovery uh, easier. So it's not even just about being smarter than the rest, but also by spending the capital more efficient than the rest. It's very similar to that mantra of if you're going to fail, fail fast and move on to the next. Exactly. Yeah. Look for the fatal flaw. uh, And that's very important in risk management in this sector. So we have a phased investment approach with these incubated companies. And we look at the fatal flaw uh, in different phases of risk management Mm -hmm. so that we can pull the plug before the big spend because you want to have a very good idea if you're going to progress eventually to the drilling phase. So uh, before the big spend on some large geophysical programs or some uh, drilling, uh, you want to know, you want to be quite sure of your odds of making this discovery. I, I, this is really powerful. I think one of the conversations that I had in the background at Beaver Creek was, I, I kind of joked, but it was, in all, and it was also very serious. Is like, you know, when it comes to the Canadian markets, like I give props to the Canadians because I've never seen a country monetize ideas so well. And I'm not just talking junior mining. I'm just talking almost any industry. You can take an idea and get it listed on one of the boards, on one of the exchanges in, in Toronto, and right. uh, all of a sudden monetize an idea. You don't have to prove anything out. But in junior mining, it's like, you know, you can get claims packages and go straight to the market. And get approved for you know raise some raise some capital and get approved for for trading. This I think is an interesting way because if you're able to use private equity and at least try to prove out stages of exploration, you know you almost kind of get into it's almost like a venture capital feel. You have right. to move to the next level in order to get more funding. Next level to get more funding. But can you talk about the stages? You talked about like 
the company that you just registered for the pre-IPO. How long have you been working for this company? What did they need to get to this point in kind of the evolution of that of that company to get to potentially publicly traded? Yeah, that's very interesting because on average, uh, we estimated about three years to get a company from the ID concept phase mm. to the drill ready, transaction ready stage. So this company, uh, Burring Gold, that was actually called Bonavista Resources when we started with it, um, that ID was pitched to us in the spring of 2018 by a very talented geologist, uh, Dave Clark, who uh, pitched this story to us and we liked it right from the bat. So we funded it uh, and a couple of geophysical and geochemical um, programs later, we were uh, finally at the stage last year that we could undertake a scout drilling program. The targets were uh, so well defined after all the groundwork and all the uh, boots on the ground generating multi-layer data work that we've undertook in, in that company. So last year we were ready for a scout drilling program. We funded that primarily externally. A new gold, for instance, um, uh, came in into that financing to uh, finance the, the scout drilling program. So uh, Burring Gold is part of the investing for the future mantra of mm -hmm. uh, new gold. They've taken stakes in a couple of juniors and Burring Gold is one of them. So then we undertook the scout drilling program and we hit gold in every hole. And uh, the best hole was uh, a metal factor of over 50. So uh, now the next stage, natural stage after this scout drilling program is the IPO. So uh, if we think this will materialize in the fall of this year, then you can easily see the three three and a quarter years that it will take from an ID to the transaction to the actual IPO. Mm -hmm. Took a little bit longer than we estimated because COVID and the delays that came from that, but we're not that far off the three-year mark that we emphasized when we started the private equity fund. You know, if we rewind to last year when capital was flying off the shelves into this sector, maybe got a little overextended or quite overextended the way you want to look at it. Um, was it, was it challenging for your team to not rush to get this, a company like this or similar companies onto the market, knowing that sentiment was so positive a year ago? And how did you manage to kind of slow down and say like, even though the market's hot now, it's not the time. Indeed. Uh, for us, Reputation is everything. So if a company is not mature enough, uh, why would you already take it public? Because it can fall flat on its face. You need, you need data, you need hard data. You need to um, really be proud of what you take to the market. So uh, we needed to have this scout drilling program under our belt first. We needed to know the results instead of just selling a dream. Now we have the hard data. Now we have the results from the drilling. And now it's mature enough to, to ask people for money to uh, undertake a larger drill program. So now it's uh, very important to have uh, done all the groundwork and not just look at the market every day. Uh, that's not what we did when we launched this fund in 2018. 
it couldn't have been more counter-cyclical at that time. <laughs> but that was also the opportunity because there was basically no competition. The exploration dollars, the budgets were only going down steadily after 2012. I think the on a worldwide scale exploration expenditures for gold uh, decreased almost 70% since 2012. Hmm. So that was the opportunity. But you're right to, to touch on another thing that you mentioned about uh, last year, this window between May and August of 2020, where every man and his dog raised <laughs> funds. Uh, <laughs> uh, for instance, that, that earning financing index by uh, Kai Hoffman and his crew, uh, that, that index tripled from May to August 2020. Crazy. So, and then in August last year, uh, gold peaked above $2,000 and then it started declining. So um, that coincided with all this paper actually coming out of the lockup, the four month uh, lockup. So the first financings in May, June uh, were coming out of the lockup while gold was peaking above 2000 and starting to decline. So you got a very toxic mix of uh, all these older periods expiring and a gold price going down. Mm -hmm. And I think we still see the effects of that right now in the market. And that probably explains why the junior expiration market sentiment is not great at the moment. All right. So let's do talk about that sentiment. Uh, I think not great is putting it pretty kindly here, Peter. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really ugly. It really is um, a stock pickers type of market. We're seeing a few specific companies have good expiration results or manage properly that are still seeing movement upwards, but they, you know, they're not specific gold companies or not specific silver companies. And I know like, you know, you, you know, maybe people can anecdotally uh, put that statement to test here and say, well, here's a silver company coming or something like that. I get it, but it is a stock pickers type of market, but in general sentiment, today is so poor we've seen a year of just declines 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 but have we seen that capitulation yet have we seen capitulating sentiment where they just people are giving up that's a tough one i think uh, because there are still ray of lights out there uh, that tells me we are not at the capitulation moment i'm not sure if if we're ever going to see that uh, or we just slowly recover from here. We are very market and price agnostic. So we have a long-term focus in our investments. Uh, we look for the catalyst. We look for the discovery potential. And in our view, uh, economically significant discoveries are also rewarded in a bear market. And that's what we've basically shown with plethora of precious metals since 2012, because we, we could make these returns at a very bad market backdrop because we had discoveries. And, and that's very simple because you have company worth a couple of million that makes uh, discoveries worth billions of metal value in the ground. So the asymmetry there is, is very clear. And there's, there's one example that, that I really like. It's an Australian example actually in the nickel market, nickel, a big nickel sulfide discovery uh, by uh, serious resources. That was in 2012. So they, they drilled a, a very big nickel sulfide hole and they were close to 10 million market cap at the time, almost uh, out of cash. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the last holes they drilled in the campaign was the top of an electromagnetic conductor and they hit it. And in three years later, in, in 2015, they were bought out for 1.8 billion uh, by uh, independence group. So from 10 million to 1.8 billion. But what people don't know actually is that those years were not very favorable for nickel. Yeah, I was gonna actually, say, I, gonna <laughs> say I don't remember the big nickel run that, <laughs> that time. Indeed. No, no, no. The, the nickel price went from, uh, I think, from $16,000 per ton or something to 14000 So it was not a great backdrop, but still you have this junior yeah. um, going from $10 million to $1.8 billion because it was an economic significant discovery in a metal highly sought after uh, in the future. So, yeah, it's, uh, that, that, that's, and I have many of those examples, but that's why we are in this game. And sometimes it's frustrating. For instance, yesterday, one of our companies in, in Plethora Precious Metals, a Puma Exploration, mm -hmm. made a major gold discovery in New Brunswick with um, the discovery hole uh, 50 meter of almost six grams per ton gold um, in the initial drill campaign on a, where no previous drilling has taken place in that area. And the stock actually went down on the news <laughs> so that tells you where we are uh of course it 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 went times four uh, since our purchase so we're not complaining uh well actually i am a little bit complaining right now but okay but that's fair, uh, that's fair but enough still yeah. it's, it's 40 million market cap for an, a significant discovery that seems to have a lot of legs to it and a lot of exploration potential so that's that's strange and on the other hand relative valuation wise you still have some juniors out there that are at 100 million, 200 million market cap, and they don't have too much to show for. Uh, so it's the relative valuations also sometimes don't really make sense in this sector. Does it feel like there there's more external forces moving the market, such as uh, maybe more promotional endeavors moving the junior mining market than it is fundamentals? Definitely, yes. We, we see some, some outrageous valuations in some juniors. And then if you, uh, if you digest them and, and see where they came from, it's always um, some marketing campaign behind it or mm -hmm. some, some promotion and some, some retail-focused uh, marketing efforts, uh, YouTube, YouTube clips, uh, you name it. Eventually, you know, these stocks will go back down uh, when the dump starts after the pump. But still, it's, uh, it's, it's sucking a lot of capital out of this sector. And, and that's, that's frustrating because we need to have the capital go to the mine finders, especially in, in base metals, because for the world, we will need these metals for the energy transition. It's uh, the conversation you had recently on this podcast about ESG mm. highlighted that point a very um, very good that we need these battery metals. So we need to uh, have the capital go to the finers of these metals, the explorers. Um, we're getting a little short for time here. And I know there's a number of other topics that you and I want to discuss. So we might have to postpone some of those for another time. And maybe we'll see how the rest of the month, you know, uh, as we wind down September, we're seeing a lot of weakness in the general markets, not only precious metals. 
Uh, October is historically pretty volatile for markets. If you don't mind, could we touch base maybe later in October? Uh, hopefully the sun will still be shining in Netherlands. Uh, doubt, yeah, doubtful, but perhaps. Uh, but let's see how this maybe sentiment changes and you and I can touch base and have this continued conversation about private equity where we're seeing these junior exploration markets heading into the winter and perhaps things have changed. Sounds good. Thanks, uh, yeah, Peter, before we let you go, how can people listening to this podcast find you and maybe follow up with any questions after listening to this? Yes, yeah, so Plethora Precious Metals is uh, plethorapm.com. Uh, plethora Private Equity is uh, plethorape.com. And I am also on Twitter. Um, I don't even remember my handle, but I think it's <laughs> at Vermeulen Invest. Yeah, try at Vermeulen Invest. I'm not a social media expert here. And we are on LinkedIn as well. All right. Uh, Peter, it's good to connect with you for the first time. I look forward to having you on more frequently. Thanks, Trevor. Looking forward to it. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak to a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.